today we're going to talk about how to pace your video game. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to the 25th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. If you want to talk about Game Dev or reach out to me, you can do so on Twitter. That's at underscore Zachavelli underscore. You can find me on the same handle on Instagram. We also have an open community Discord for the Game Dev Field Guide. You can find the open invite link in the show notes. On the Discord, we talk about... All things game dev, Um, we do the game dev challenge there, we host the monthly game jam there, and yeah, it's just a lot of like-minded people working together and talking about game development. Speaking of game development, and I alluded to it a little bit before, we do have a monthly game jam called the Game Dev Field Guide Monthly Game Jam. It is hosted by Gerald Burke, who is a member of our community. And it's been well underway for the first month now. Um, By next week, we'll be wrapping up the first month, so I'm excited to play the games. And if you're interested in playing any of the games or joining the Game Dev Field Guide, make sure you run over to the Discord and check out the monthly Game Jam channel. I'll also leave an itch.io link in the description um, to the Game Jam in case you just want to do it that way. It looked like a ton of fun for this past month. Like I said, I'm really excited to play the games, and I'm so excited, and it looked like so much fun, that I'm actually going to join next month. So I have no idea what the themes or the modifiers are going to be. Gerald decides all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to the submission period of this month's jam to play some games and rate them on itch.io, and then I'm going to jump into it next month and i think it's going to be really fun with that let's jump over to the game dev challenge the game dev challenge is the part of the show where i give the audience a prompt um, or a challenge and they go onto the discord and submit their prompt um, submission i guess and i read the highest upvoted one on the show last week's episode i'm sorry not last week's last episode two weeks ago was about uh, multiplayer design, and so the game dev challenge was to break down a mechanic or add to an existing mechanic from your favorite game to make it a multiplayer or give it some kind of multiplayer dynamic. And we last week we talked about, last episode rather, we talked about the idea of having a web of interacting um, game mechanics. And so let's go read the submissions for last episode's game dev challenge so the winning post from last episode's game dev challenge comes from sean g and it's an extremely well thought out and long post so i will have to paraphrase it a bit but it goes like this sean says that what inspired his post was the combat mechanics from kingdom come deliverance and in kingdom come deliverance you have an attack and you give it a direction so you can vary where your attacks come from. When an enemy swings at you, you get a chance to counter, evade, or block, and this kind of happens in the form of there's a bit of slowdown, um, like in the game time, that gives the player a chance to take one of these actions. 
So this inspired Sean's post. He said, um, let's assume player A is attacking player B. If player A lands an attack, time dramatically slows for a second or two, and B can attempt a counter block. If he counters, he must try to time it as close to the impact point as possible. Now the counter attack goes back to A, and now A has a chance to counter B's counter attack. Except for that difference, or the closer B's timing was, the less time A has to counter. So if someone attacked you and you countered it really, really close to the impact time, then your counterattack then would give the opponent a even smaller chance to counter, if that makes sense. I know that can be kind of confusing, but just keep player A and B separate in your head. And he says, um, this goes back and forth for a while. To account for this, we could give less time for each iteration, so it's kind of a decaying um, window. And if you choose block instead of countering, um, you might take a bit of damage, but the other person is now open to attack. He also mentioned earlier in the post, I kind of skimmed over it, but he mentioned earlier in the post that for this example, let's just say that the attacks only have two directions, left and right, and they only have two types, which are fast and heavy. So if I put this into the web of interactivity kind of model that I mentioned um, last episode, to me, it already looks like we have four variations of an attack. So you have a left fast, a right fast, a left heavy, a right heavy. And so to me, it's really interesting how each of these things kind of tie into the other parts of the game. For instance, the defending player is going to have to probably pick which side they are defending, right, left or right. And so already you have a, a difference or at least a connection between the attack side and the defense side, but also with the fast and heavy, that's interesting too, because maybe you can not counter heavy attacks, or you can only block fast attacks. So you start to get this sort of web of attack dynamics, and it's that kind of stuff that I think is really cool and offers like a higher skill ceiling. As for the idea where uh, you can have like a quick time event or a, a slowdown time where you have to try and counter as close to the impact point as possible. Um, it seems like this mechanic has a real strong, like the person who goes second has a really strong position, right? Because if you time that that impacts perfectly, then your counterattack is going to be pretty hard to counter. So I think you would have to balance that aspect a little more. I really like the idea because I can see how cool it would be to pull off like a triple counter. That would be crazy and I think that offers, um, especially in like a PvP game, I think that offers some moments for like some really hyped excitement. Um, but I thought Sean did a good job in this post kind of thinking about, I don't know if he thought about it in this way, but this is how I think about it and why I think the post is interesting is this multiplayer design system, this sort of PvP melee combat, has like maybe let's say three sort of simple actions, but... You can see with the web and the way that they all connect, those three simple actions create a lot of depth, right? You have your attack uh, side choice. You have the style attack, whether it's fast or heavy. Um, maybe if you can move around in this game, we'll just say position, like where your body is, is the third. And all three of these things by themselves are pretty simple and pretty standard. And that allows like beginning players to jump in and kind of, they can kind of understand each of those things. But 
your more experienced players will understand how each of those things interact with each other and combine together to create a much deeper game. And that's what I really, really like about um, like designing PvP systems. I think that's really interesting how all that stuff interacts together. So thank you, Sean, for your post. Congratulations for winning the Episode 24 Game Dev Challenge. For the Episode 25 Game Dev Challenge... It's kind of a uh, pick an A or B. I suppose you could do A and B, but for most people, you'll probably want to pick one. And the prompt is to either sketch out a story with major plot points or design a gameplay loop. Both, however, should follow um, what we're going to talk about as like the roller coaster arc. The gameplay loop might be a little different, but you'll see what I mean later in the episode when I talk about sketching out a story with the major plot points and we're going to talk about a three-act structure and building up pace and all that good stuff. So um, yeah, do one of those two things and I would encourage you to use this episode as kind of inspiration and maybe as a little guide. So if you want to send in a submission, uh, either your sketched out story with the major plot points or your gameplay loop, um, you can do so on the Game Dev Challenge channel in the open Discord I'll leave the link for the Discord in the show notes. With that, let's go over to the body of the episode. So today's episode um, is about pacing, and it's going to tie in a lot with progression and difficulty episodes that I did a while ago now. I think they have a lot of similar threads, progression, difficulty, and pacing. And so maybe if you want a refresher, I would encourage you to go listen to those, or if this is the first episode you're ever hearing, maybe move on to those ones next, because they're going to have a lot of the same thoughts are going to be in the right headspace for them. So when I think about pacing, I think about it in two related but different contexts. The first context is narrative pacing, um, which is how the story of your game progresses. The other context is the context of how the gameplay is paced. This revolves around the gameplay loop um, and the actual like mechanical hook of your game. This episode will be like 75-25 split favored towards the game design aspect. And that's just due to the fact that um, narrative pacing is more of a story writing skill, which is definitely in the world of game dev. But it's a part of the world of game dev that I don't know a ton about. And so I think there's some better resources out there if you want to learn more about story writing. I will talk a little bit about what kind of story structures work for me and how like my very basic understanding of it um, seems to work all right. And maybe that can be a jumping off point for you. And if you're more interested, you can go on with that knowledge onto other resources. So when it comes to narrative design, here's like the basic understanding and stuff that I've learned. Generally, you want to make a story that's major plot points follow like a climbing arc. And throughout the episode, I'm going to use a lot of different um, kind of descriptions of what this arc or curve looks like. And I guess when I say this, just imagine that um, you're like on the first part of a roller coaster ride where the coaster like climbs up the hill. It's being like dragged by the chain up the hill. Um, And the big drop like right at the top of the hill is the climax of your story. And you spend the majority of your story building up to that. So if it were a superhero movie, um, the climax is like the end fight scene, right? Now, if you just built it up in a straight line like how a roller coaster actually is, 
like straight up to the big moment, um, it can be kind of boring. So the curve or arc I'm talking about actually has like mini curves and ups and downs on the way up to the big moment. And so just keep in mind that um, when you're building up your plot to the climax, um, there should be like peaks and valleys within the buildup itself. And the classic way to do this is with a three-act story structure, where you divide the overall story into three parts, and then each part has its own build-up and then release or resolution, um, and those all fit on the general increasing arc. So that is to say, like, the end of Act 1, the resolution, when it dips down, it's not going to go all the way to the bottom, right? The, the bottom of it is still going to be following that general arc, that's climbing. I hope that's making sense. I hope I'm describing it right. I'll link a, uh, a really good video by Extra Credits, and they show a really great graphic of this idea in it. And it's a short video, and it's a really good watch. And if you're interested in pacing for the story of your game, then I think this video is a really solid watch, and it's pretty short too. So I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. So anyways, now that we have our story arc um, kind of designed, I want to talk about maybe some ways you can modify it or some pitfalls that you might fall into when making it. And these are things that I have personally um, struggled with or used or just have personal experience with. So they might not be always true because this is kind of anecdotal evidence, but I think they're um, useful nonetheless. So the first thing is that when I was first making story arcs, I really did not focus that much on the resolution or the release or whatever you want to call it. It's the part where the roller coaster goes down the hill right after the big climax. When I first started, it was kind of like, well, that's the end of the story, right? So that's, that's easy. You just write like a happily ever after type situation or whatever. But I think this is often overlooked and as I got better, I started to realize that the resolution or payoff of your story really matters and that payoff needs to tie up all the loose ends and be satisfactory. You don't want your player to experience this super long buildup and awesome climax just to feel unsatisfied by the ending. So my first tip for, I guess, story pacing was is to make sure that the payoff is worth the buildup. Otherwise, the whole thing will fall apart, and don't overlook the resolution. It's a very small piece of the overall story, relatively, but I think it's one of the most important, so don't overlook it. Now, you could sort of break this payoff rule um, and make a cliffhanger. And a cliffhanger is where you build up to this moment, this climax, and then you kind of end the story right at where the climaxes. Cliffhangers work as a really good hook. It kind of plays on our natural curiosity to know what's next. The problem is though is that um, if cliffhangers are overused then they have really diminishing returns. A good example uh, for me at least of this problem is the TV show The Walking Dead. I used to really really love The Walking Dead and I watched every episode live but after a while, it just felt like every episode ended with a cliffhanger, and it just started to feel like a really cheap way of keeping you watching as each time the resolution of the cliffhanger or the payoff became less and less. 
And sooner or later, the TV show just became about the cliffhanger. Um, the actual story, like, really degraded in quality. And then the only reason to keep watching was to see the resolution of every cliffhanger. And they just got way overused. Um, and it just made the show feel really cheap. And so that's why I don't think you should end every arc or, you know, you might have a climax for each one of the acts in your story. Don't end them all with cliffhangers. You might think that I'll have the hook that'll keep your players going, but I think it's a cliffhanger is the kind of thing where like less is more. Um, and just one or two can be really impactful. I'm a really big fan of leaving a cliffhanger maybe at the end of Act 1 or the end of Act 2, as it still gives some of that sort of mystery and wanting to know what's next, and you still have like a good chunk of the story left to go. In other words, you have a lot of time to get that payoff for the cliffhanger. So I guess to sum up that whole point, cliffhangers work, uh, but don't overuse them and make sure that the payoff is satisfactory. Lastly, I want to talk about the intro or more specifically the first minute. When you listen to other educational entities, they might call this part the hook. That's kind of a common thing in story writing is that they call it like the, the first part the hook. Um, I'm going to use the term hook for a game design thing later in the episode, so don't get that confused. Um, and that's why in this part of the episode, I'm just calling it the intro or the first minute of your game. And this doesn't necessarily have to be related to the story, but for the context of this part of the episode, it will. So the intro or first minute of your game has to grab the player's attention. And like I said earlier, you can do this with great gameplay or other features, but one of the really good ways to do this is with a narrative hook or intro. Now I'm getting, <laughs> now I'm getting hook and intro confused. Um... The best example I can think of uh, that has like a really great intro is The Last of Us Part 1. If you haven't played the intro to that game, I won't spoil it, uh, but this is one of those times in, in the episode where I would really, really recommend you to go play it or watch someone on YouTube play it. Maybe, I think there's like playthroughs without commentary. I just think if you're a fan of video games, it's something you should just go and experience because... It is an absolutely like a shining masterclass of how to open a video game and how to open a story. The actual gameplay itself in the intro is pretty simple, but it's just so shocking and it immediately sets you into the story and it evokes strong emotions, which as you know is one of my, well really my golden rule for making a video game. And so it gets you interested in this world right away. And really, if when I think about it, The Last of Us Part 1, the whole game is a great example of an overarching kind of build-up uh, sort of story arc with high and low moments all the way up through the build-up. Um, it fits into that act structure I was talking about. So if you haven't played The Last of Us Part 1, it's a great video game. It's a great game that will inspire you and make you learn about game development um, it has great pacing and it's just a really fun game i guarantee if you go play it you will be inspired to make video games at least that's how i felt when i played it so that's going to finish um, my tips on sort of the narrative pacing let's now talk about uh, pacing as it relates to game design when pacing or designing the way your game design is paced 
What you're really doing is mixing up the intensity and experiences so that the game holds the player's attention better. Even a great mechanic can get old if it's the only thing the player is doing, especially if you use that mechanic in the same way over and over and over. Although I don't think it's like a one-to-one fit, I do like to think of gameplay pacing in the same sort of roller coaster buildup um, that we used for narrative pacing. In fact, that arc kind of loosely fits a lot of things um, for game dev. A good other example that fits that arc is the difficulty of your game. And like I said earlier, difficulty and pacing have a lot of hand-in-hand traits. But anyways, um, what I mean by it loosely fits the arc is that it has the same uh, thing where the mechanics that your game starts with should be catching the player's attention right away. This means at first you should have a simple yet solid mechanic. Then, throughout the game, you slowly introduce complexity uh, with new mechanics or maybe things that augment the main mechanic throughout the game. To mix things up along this arc, because remember we don't want a straight line up to the climax, you should vary the intensity or nature of the mechanics or level design that happen throughout the game. Just a, a quick example, we could have the peak of Act 1 be like a crazy firefight and then you could follow up the peak of act one with a calm puzzle section to the start of act two half-life is a great example of what i just described um the whole half-life series i'm specifically thinking of half-life 2 it kind of follows this sort of intense uh fighting section followed up by like a puzzle or open section um and it varies the intensity like perfectly out throughout the game and really keeps your interest this way. And you don't have to just modulate this with intensity. You could do it with level design. For instance, if you had a level with like tight, frantic areas, um, you could follow that level up with a open, expansive area. You want to be careful, though, not to have too much contrast. If your peaks and troughs are really far apart, the game can feel really disjointed and kind of wandering in tone, or just by what the game is trying to be. A good way of kind of making sure that these peaks and troughs aren't too far apart is to have a well-designed core game loop. Now, a core game loop is a really important thing to game design. It's probably the most important thing. It's sort of the engine of your game design. And what a core game loop is is really just a way of linking different mechanics and experiences that ties everything nicely together um, and keeps the player interested. It also, by tying everything together in a clear loop, it keeps things coherent. Player never has to wonder, like, what am I supposed to do? Because the loop kind of compels them to go uh, from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Some games' core loop is so strong that it can almost replace the pacing arc completely of the game as players just want to experience the same loop over and over and over just because it's so good. A good example of that is Minecraft. I would say a very like broad general version of Minecraft's core gameplay loop is as follows. You start by collecting materials, use those materials to build equipment and buildings, um, you use the equipment and buildings to improve your character, and with your improved character, you explore. Once you explore more, you'll find new materials, and then you collect those materials and build, and then improve and explore and collect, build. You, you can see the loop. 
And I think that loop in Minecraft is so strong that that is the game. Now, Minecraft does have an overarching sort of pace with the end game and the ender dragon and all that stuff. But still, I think a good gameplay loop is the most important thing for pacing and really the most important thing for your game design overall. And gameplay loops, when you think about them, can be as broad or as narrow as you want to make them. Big projects will often have really broad loops that are made up of several smaller loops. Just know that game loops are really difficult to get right, and the first game loop you design will probably not be perfect, um, and to get a good game loop, you often have to have a lot of playtesting and a lot of iterations just to kind of figure it out. I haven't found myself like a, a perfect formula for coming up with a game loop, and honestly, I don't know if any game dev has, and so really the only way that I know of to come up with a good one is to kind of brute force it via trial and error. Now, you can design one that's going to be a good starting point, of course, and we'll talk about kind of the things that go into that later, but to really perfect one, it requires a lot of playtesting and a lot of iterations. So if the first gameplay loop you make is not very good or not very fun, don't feel bad. Know that that's something that every game designer struggles with. And just keep trying, because that's the only way. The trial and error way is the only way uh, that I know of to, for sure, have a good gameplay loop. And even then, sometimes it's it's hard to materialize one. So when I design a game loop, um, I start with the main mechanic for the idea. Then I like to think of things that are complementary um, to the mechanic. And in, in the broad sense, um, let me give you an example of a broad gameplay loop that I think took a already pretty good game and just launched it into the stratosphere. One of the smartest things Call of Duty ever did was extend their core game loop out of the matches themselves. They took the already great combat within the matches of Call of Duty and they extended the loop out into the boring menu and lobby system. So the loop just went from, when they did that, this would be uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, what they did is they changed the loop from fun combat, you know, in-game match, to menus, boring, find a new match, to fun combat, to menus, boring, find a new match. Um, and they changed that to you do the fun combat, then once you get out of the game, you're on like an unlocks and progression screen. And so you see all this cool unlock stuff, and you see all these medals and level ups that you're getting. And then on top of that, you go into like a customization stage where you build your class and you can put different attachments on your gun. And this customization stage works perfect for the combat because it allows you to change your combat and then it becomes like a trial and error thing in itself where you go fight, you unlock new guns, you customize those guns, test them out, and you unlock more stuff, you customize your guns, change your how the guns feel, go test them out. And it became a super addicting loop that really, I think, is what took Call of Duty to the next level. It went from a fun shooting game where you could find and play a few matches with friends to like an obsessive game where you were always unlocking and customizing and playing just to try something new. And so I want to dissect this game loop a little bit more because I think it's a really good example of a a broad loop 
that really elevated the game. So what else is interesting about this? Well, this loop varies in intensity. Notice that the unlock and progression customization step happen outside of the actual combat. You, they could have made it inside the match, but then it would have had the same intensity and you would have just been scrambling to pick any gun, right? Like they could have made it so that once you get five kills, then you can add an attachment to your gun. And they kind of did this sub thing in there with kill streaks, but I think by having the unlock and progression and customization steps outside of the actual game, they give you like a chance to breathe and like set things up and customize your gun like perfectly how you want it. Had they done it where you're actually in the match and you're like customizing your gun mid combat, the intensity would have been the same throughout the loop. And I think it would have worn out players a lot faster. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, I remember it being in the notes, but I don't remember saying it, but the intensity is important because it's something you want to modulate and not have consistent without your game, because if your game is too intense all the time, then it becomes like exhausting to play. But if it's not intense enough and it's kind of low-key the whole time, then it can be kind of boring. And sure, you can have like an overall tone of your game, whether your game might be you know, intense combat driven, or maybe it's more relaxed like puzzle game or something. But it should kind of have this up and down variations as it's just something that's a little more attention grabbing. When we look at the Call of Duty loop, let's talk about how each step is complementary. Notice how the combat um, directly affects the unlocks which directly affect the customization, which loops all the way back and directly affects the combat. I think this is a good example of how each step in the game loop affects the next, and there's no like wasted space in here. And the loop works well because the progression and unlock step always keeps the loop going. It's like an accelerator for the loop. The combat initiates the loop, and the customization um, sort of augments the other steps in the loop. And so each step has a defined role, it doesn't really step on the other, I'm using the word step too much, but it doesn't really like step on top of the other steps. And yeah, I just think each part is well-defined and purposeful, and it fills its own role. So when you think about the steps in your core gameplay loop, try to have each one fill a role, and it's even better if those steps kind of support each other or augment each other or the loop in an interesting way. I don't think there's a defined amount of roles. Maybe someone at GDC has given a talk about core game loops and maybe their secret formula and all the steps fall into one of these roles, but to me this is kind of like an ongoing and kind of uh, imperfect science that we're still figuring out. And so while I don't think there are a defined amount of roles or steps, there are some that I like to use kind of over and over, and these are kind of where I start when I make my core gameplay loop. So here's just a few ideas that might fit into your loop or might not, um, but this is just kind of a few places you might want to look to start. So one of the good roles is an attention-grabbing or exciting action step. This is something like collecting an item or fighting, um, and this is the kind of thing that usually kicks off the loop. I also like a goal setting or achieving step where you show completed goals or set new ones and it usually comes with rewards and it gives 
or I guess its role or purpose is that it gives extra purpose to the action step as now you have like a reason why you're doing the action. You're not just doing the action just because. Sometimes I like to have an exploration step uh, that takes advantage of interesting environment or maybe fun movement controls. This is kind of a hybrid action step mixed with a some kind of like curiosity satisfaction or something like that. You could have a interaction step where players are given a chance to cooperate or compete. This might be like in Among Us where you kind of call a meeting um, and talk to each other about who you think the imposter is. You can have customization steps, which we talked about earlier, that can alter other steps in the loop um, and kind of augment things each time through the loop to keep it interesting. There are probably a million other steps to think about, but what you want to be careful is not having too many steps in your game loop. Really good game loops are actually very tight and concise, and there's no wasted space. To me, I think it's impossible to make a perfect system. Uh, so naturally, players are going to like some steps better than others. And when you have a lot of steps, you run the risk of spacing out the ones that players really like too far apart. And also, with a lot of steps, it becomes harder and harder to vary the intensity of nature. Because with the more steps you have, obviously, the more likely it is that two might feel similar. Um, and when two steps feel similar, their kind of role or that part of the game wears out twice as fast, in my opinion. So lastly, when it comes to core gameplay loops, I want to talk about how the loop should loop seamlessly. In other words, I mean there should be a smooth transition between each cycle of the loop. This is what gives games like Civilization that one more turn feel. Uh, Civilization, if you didn't know, is a 4x empire building game. Um, and it's masterful at making players want to play more turns because the core loop is so tight and rewarding. The cycle is so seamless that by the time you go through it, you say to yourself, well, I might as well go through it again. And then you get through and you say, well, I got time for one more turn. And the next time you're like, well, I want to build this. And the next time you're like, well, now that I've built that, now I got to do this. And it just keeps you going um, because each loop sets up the next loop for fun. There's always happening something happening per cycle, and that cycle is setting up future cycles, and it's building it up, just like we talked about with the roller coaster thing. These cycles are building each other up for an eventual climax. And when you have these cycles um, working together like this, they're seamlessly connected, and each loop leads right into the next one, and it just keeps your player playing. And uh, it's really addicting and fun, and if you've never been awake at like three in the morning playing Civilization and you just say oh, one more turn and then you it's like five in the morning maybe you don't know what that's like but take it from me it's really addicting and really fun so let's recap everything um, we learned about pacing uh, pacing can come in many forms and two that we talked about today are narrative and gameplay they both should follow a curve that resembles like the first big hill on a roller coaster. On the way up the hill, it should have its own subset of peaks and troughs. Don't just make a straight line straight up to the build-up, or the climax, rather. Um, story-wise, a good way to set this up is in a three-act structure, where you divide your story into thirds, and then each third has its own build-up and arc and resolution. Payoff after the climax is extremely important, 
and it's as important as the rest of the story, um, even if it only makes up a small portion, so don't overlook it. Cliffhangers can be effective by delaying the payoff, um, but make sure not to overuse them. And make sure the first minute of your story or game is attention-grabbing. Remember that, like we said, pacing can also refer to gameplay. Um, gameplay should somewhat follow that same curve that we talked about, uh, and it can uh, it can also fit that curve can also fit um, things like difficulty, intensity, or complexity. When you're designing your difficulty, intensity, complexity, um, or just overall gameplay pacing, make sure you include those sub peaks and troughs on the way up. This keeps the gameplay varied um, and interesting. You can do this by mixing up the nature of the mechanics, like having an intense shooting followed by calm puzzles, um, or you can do this with level design by mixing up sort of tight levels and open levels, or there's lots of other ways you can do it, um, but those are just the examples I provide. A gameplay loop is a set of steps that seamlessly connect and repeat um, and they kind of function as the core engine of your game design. A gameplay loop is essential to having games pace feel varied but not disjointed. And a good loop has clear steps that follow nicely into each other, um, where each step has a clear purpose and can augment the other steps in the cycle. Make sure that your cycle is tight and has no wasted steps. And it's very important to have your cycle seem, be seamless um, and allow them to build up each other every time you go through the loop or the cycle, build up the next one and set up the next one to have fun. If you're able to pull this off, this game loop, um, the cycles will improve upon themselves and your game will be interesting and fun throughout the entire experience. So with that, I think I'm going to end the episode. Um, next episode, episode 26, will be on creating AI for video games. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so on Twitter or Instagram. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Make sure you go to our Discord. The open invite link is in the show notes. Check out the Game Dev Field Guide monthly game jam um, on itch.io or the Discord. I'll leave links in the show notes. And don't forget to participate in the Game Dev Challenge. I'll put up the um, prompt in the Game Dev Challenge channel and the Discord. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli. Is 9 p.m. on a random Wednesday too late to start a Civ game? <laughs>